Welcome to Comedy vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And uh, I was kind of bored with this movie, Kyle. Mm, mm -hmm, oh, mm -hmm. sorry. Yeah, I'm Dave. And I'm the Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. That year just so happens to be 1982. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud. Let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. Uh -huh. Brad Hamilton, the fast food king. I shall serve no fries for their time. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna kick 100% of your ass. Charles Jefferson. <laughs> a man. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue the show since, you know, the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. Uh, now, Dave, before we get to talking about this week's film, we left last week. Again, we're under attack. Right. DDS has tracked us down here to this uh, to this cabin. And if people are just tuning in for the first time, all you need to know, very simple. Dave and I used to have an arcade and we ran away after some embezzlement uh, accusations from this dentist, DDS, DDS. We thought we were hiding ourselves away out in this cabin. Dave is kind of just out for the ride more than anything. Following me around. Nothing simple and, uh, about this plot. It's it's not convoluted at all. It just so happens that the machine has kind of converted this cabin into an entire time machine. But Dee Dee has is trying to break in and uh, I get kill us. I don't know. That's unclear at this point. What uh, what her Take ultimate her motivation is? She wants yeah. our teeth. But uh, so how how's this week been with uh, Dee Dee Hess trying to break in? Yeah, it's noisy. It's hard to sleep. I um, mm -hmm. I just find it kind of annoying that. We have to go through this every week, Kyle. I just want her to leave me alone. <laughs> sure, sure. Maybe she's like the Spicoli of this podcast. Just yeah, shows she's up. way too active. Uninvited. Yeah. Way too active for somebody that uh, is smoking that much pot. Well, I'm sure this will become important as we continue on each successive episode. There is one small news story before we jump into this week's episode that I thought would just be a very quick thing to touch on. You remember watching the film Friday the 13th Part 3, Dave? Sure. Uh, thoughts, feelings, you were you were so, you loved that movie. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Which one was uh, Friday the 13th Part 3? That's Jason. That's, that's Jason with the hockey mask. Oh yeah, that was great. D Dave is being facetious here. He uh, he hated that movie with a throbbing passion, unseen. Throbbing, Jesus. <laughs> for, for centuries. We mentioned in that episode how the rights issues for friday the 13th are very convoluted right now mm. like there's been attempts to reboot it remake it make other properties from friday the 13th and it just has been stuck in legal issues good, good. until this week oh, it's very, actually very interesting it somehow some legal dispute got bit of a finalized and there is going to be i think it's called crystal lake it's a tv show Based on Friday the Thirteenth, is going to be Stupid. maybe coming mm -hmm. uh, at at some at some point. Although 
I'm kind of aligned with you, Dave, that I think it sounds dumb in that I don't need a prequel series. I don't need any of this stuff. If you want to make a new Friday the 13th movie, fine. Go nuts. No, but don't. See, I don't need this yeah. prequel. Well, Just write, fine. write a new movie. Like, why? Why? <laughs> All right. Why? Regardless, uh, I don't agree with that point of view. <laughs> I just don't. I just, I'm not a big fan of the prequel idea. The only thing that gets me semi excited is that the showrunner of this TV show is Brian Fuller, who happens to be one of my favorite TV creators who did Pushing Daisies. He did Wonderfalls. Like, I love his TV stuff. So that kind of intrigues me, but I'm not a big fan of this property. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. All right. So this film, Dave, of course, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I would say, regardless of your menace of the whole enterprise, is pretty iconic in, in a bunch of different ways. In an early millennial way? Late Gen X way? Maybe. I would say, Actually, no, I would say late uh, Gen X. No. No, late, uh, no, millennial didn't start until 1983 yeah, and we're in yeah. 1982. Uh, 1980, so. depending on <laughs> so who we're, you ask. We're squarely, we're squarely in Gen X territory yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You'd have to be in high school in 1982 mm -hmm. to think this right. was good. All right, well, that is your opinion. Anyways, there is a bunch of people I feel that we need to just kind of go through as far as like our backstory goes. So sort of the, maybe the big one here, Sean Penn. Sean Penn is in this movie. This is his like a first role, basically. Mm, yeah. First big role. Yeah. He had a run. I did some some research. Mm -hmm. 81, 82, 83. You know what's interesting is he's now this uh, big personality, right? He's got three Oscars, two? Who gives a two. shit? Uh, he's been nominated a bunch of times. We know him from such uh, gritty, hard hard-hitting dramas uh, and he's kind of an asshole and, uh very and beating up madonna yeah, yeah. and potentially and robin charlie wright Theron. and uh, charlie Theron and reporters and uh, photographers mm -hmm. and the paparazzi and basically anybody he comes in right. contact with but you know there's a big not a meme but this idea that's he was spicoli how weird it is but he did dramas like around this role so he was always kind of right supposedly a good actor that's that's me and sean penn i i can't remember the last time i watched a sean penn movie well i was just gonna say uh well he he shows up in a very bit role in licorice pizza that is uh, the last one that it. i remember mm -hmm. uh, seeing uh him in but i was gonna ask you like what is the role when i say sean penn is there like an, a role that just pops into your mind right away <laughs> the secret life of walter mitty <laughs> shut up <laughs> yep. that's so weird that's the first one that pops uh, into mind. No, I don't know. Dead Man Walking? That yeah. was like so long ago. I'm just trying to think. Milk is kind of a, a big right. one. That Milk, yeah. 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 But I, I think I also read he's not too happy as an actor either, right? He's become basically a political activist. So sure. I don't know if he's got a very uh, active filmography right now. What's What about you? What was the last? What is Sean Penn? Well, I, I would say that Sean Penn for me is, yeah, that late 90s into the early 2000s run Mystic that he did. Because, yeah, you Mystic River, Milk. He directed this movie with Jack Nicholson in it called The Pledge that I'm actually kind of a fan of. Mm -hmm. He also directed Into the Wild from 2007, which was another film that I kind of liked. Witherspoon, Into the Wild? No, that is The Wild, I believe is what that oh, movie is okay. called. Into the Wild is about a guy who decides to leave society, runs away, and then dies out in the forest. Great. Because uh, he eats the wrong type of it's mushroom or berries or something like that. Like He doesn't prepare is at it, all. It's based on a true story. Is that the one where Eddie Vedder did the soundtrack? Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. I haven't watched the movie. That soundtrack's great. As an old Gen Xer, you would think that, but um, I mean, I never so, understood anything he's ever said. But that's a pretty good. He's uh, got some good tunes on that one. I don't understand what either of you are saying ever. I think it just comes down to this: Sean Penn, 
this is all the, it's that whole argument about separating the artist from the artistry i do love a lot of his performances i've seen uh, i do not think i would want to meet him in real life no. seems like a kind of a pill huge <laughs> asshole yeah you can kind of see it in the way his selection of roles he doesn't do mm-hmm. lighthearted things he's a pretty intense dude yeah how about Jennifer Jason Lee? We talked about her a little bit in uh, Existence. I mean, in recent years, Hateful Eight is the big one oh, probably yeah. that some people would know from. She was in this other very, very weird movie directed by Charlie Kaufman, which is like, of course, it's going to be weird if Charlie Kaufman is involved, but called uh, Anomalisa, which mm-hmm. I think she does a great vocal performance mm-hmm. inside of that. And she was just in another movie I watched here recently, too, like a, a, a recent movie that I can't remember. Let me look She's it up. She's like on the fringe, I think, like as far as her um, acting personality, she likes kind of odd things. But as we talked about in the Extends episode, I think that was, was that a bonus episode? It doesn't matter. Uh, she, mm-hmm. She's got some trauma. Because her dad was decapitated by a helicopter. Oh, is that the one on in in uh, the Twilight Zone? Yep. And that was that we talked about. That was yeah, this yeah. year, nineteen eighty two. Well, that's when they were filming it. It came out in eighty three, but yes, yeah. So uh, we talked about it. Don't you remember me bringing that up in, a, yeah. in an episode? Well, that's here? what I'm yeah. saying. We've talked about it. I literally started off that way by saying we've talked uh-huh. about this before. No, but I guess just to tie into her being, you know, in like she's not in the public eye, and she plays roles that are not looking to be mainstream i think in my mind so yeah i i would say so i mean again i think she's had a bit of a career resurgence more so in like the mm-hmm. last 10 years or so honestly i remember in the hateful eight a little bit it being one of those things like this is a comeback again oh, I don't know. Uh, and it's like i know the name it's like i couldn't like put her into any film <laughs> role like i don't remember seeing a lot of her in like the 90s for instance when i was watching a lot of stuff yeah. but like recently she has a, a part in annihilation that came out in 2018 she was in twin peaks the like the return the the new i'm shrugging uh, i don't know if one. they can hear it okay okay i mean you can shrug all you want these are like highly acclaimed roles yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, that no, she's doing not, not any personal uh, thing to her ability i don't mind her as an actress the netflix tv show atypical she's the mother on that Nothing. so yeah not in my algorithm not in your, uh, the other one i saw it was a uh, possessor is the one that i was actually thinking of which is the brandon cronenberg ah. movie which is one of the most disturbing things i have ever seen in my entire life maybe i'm just a weenie about no. it but there's a moment that happens in that movie that i'm like i don't enjoy this so mm. mm. <laughs> i don't watch movies of this nature unless you make uh-huh. me Dave loves complaining about stuff he hasn't even seen. Okay, how about the director, Amy Heckerling? Well, it was interesting. You know me. I don't I don't have the name recognition. But you've probably seen a bunch of her movies, even though you didn't know it. Yeah, yeah oh, I'm looking into it. And I'm like, oh, she did National Lampoon, whatever. Look who's talking, Clueless. Like, she's pretty mm. uh, accomplished as an actor, yeah. as a director, sorry. Again, these are not films that are necessarily in my algorithm. But I've watched them all, mm. so, you know, she's uh, she's a big deal. Well, just do the trivia stuff. There's a couple of interesting things about her. Such as? Her daughter. Do you know about her daughter? No, I guess I don't. She was married to someone named Neil Israel for a bit, and she had a kid. Okay. And she was she told her daughter that Neil Israel was her, her father, but it turns out her daughter's actual father is Harold Ramis from an affair. Oh, my God. Isn't that interesting? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then even weirder... Was uh, she directed Night at the Roxbury, uh, which was Mm -hmm. one of my cult favorite comedy films. She was apparently sleeping with Chris Kattan, which is weird enough as it is. What's even weirder is Chris alleges that Lorne Michaels told him to seduce her 
in order for her to direct this film. <laughs> what? That's so wild. That's so wild on so many levels. Yeah. That, of okay, all people, well, right? <laughs> I was going to say, like of all people, Chris Kattan is going to be got, the person. Who got famous for playing a monkey bellhop. A, a on... monkey boy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing for me, I'm, I'm the Clueless fan probably of the two of us. Mm -hmm. it, there, there is something about Amy Heckerling that for many people, she makes the defining high school movie of the 80s mm. and then makes the defining high school movie of the 90s. Mm -hmm. So it's in a 15-year gap. So like there's a 15-year gap between those two movies. But it's kind of interesting that she's able to knock that out. I think Look Who's Talking is probably more iconic for maybe me and you than it is to anybody else that's younger than I us. I don't even I remember imagine. that film that much. I mean, I, I think if you said Talking Baby, everybody's going to go Boss Baby now. So Yeah, that's true. Uh, I I do think my mother took me to see that movie in the theater, yeah. the first one, Look Who's Talking, which starts off, if I remember, unless I'm confusing this with another movie, doesn't that movie start off with sperm floating in a fallopian tube? I'm pretty sure that that's how that movie- Isn't that a Woody, Woody Allen No, film? no, because the the baby is voiced by Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right? Yeah. yeah. So you see him and you hear him like as he's a sperm. As and of course, I don't know what the hell that is. So I'm just like, oh, well, I guess. As soon as you say he's a sperm, I just picture Woody Allen in that stupid uh, yes, sperm outfit. Right. Yeah. We're old. Well, yes. I hope you both experience death soon. I guess I'm kind of a fan of Amy Heckerling. Mm. I didn't realize she had directed so, so many of these things that I, that I knew about. I, but, we can uh, definitely say she had a big cultural impact. Oh, oh sure. The other thing that was interesting about her is she, uh, I can't remember if she's like this child prodigy, but she decided when she became a director to join the AFI and she shot her first short film while working as an editor there and then got- Yeah, I'm going to talk about that. Yeah, but then she got into a horrific car yeah, accident. Collapsed yeah. lung. Blech. Yeah, and then got to be fired because she couldn't remember anything <laughs> based on the fact she got a huge concussion out of this uh, huge car accident. Good for her. Her and Cameron Crowe, the writer, really reworked this. Are both pretty young at, at the yeah. time. And so they put in, they put back in a lot of the teenaginess and she selected the soundtrack for this film, so. Well, sort, sort of. of. We'll get into that too. She had to actually fight for a couple of songs to be on there and she wanted it to be very different than the actual soundtrack that- The studio. Um, appears. yeah. yeah. How about this movie, Dave? Do you have any relationship with this movie? Yeah, I don't like this movie. I think even growing up, this wasn't as uh, well referenced even amongst my peers because uh, it was a little passing. It's 1982, so this is not an active thing. But interestingly, like Animal House and American Graffiti were more talked mm. about, uh, I think, growing up. Like, you know, Clueless or so many, American Pie or um, any coming-of-age comedy the people who love it are obsessed with it. Everybody knows about this character Sean Penn plays, Spicoli. Yeah, so when I finally, well, I didn't watch it in my youth. I watched it probably in my 20s and uh, I don't like it. I don't hate it, but I didn't, uh, I didn't get that thing where like, oh, this is a fucking classic, man. I really identify with this experience of high school. I have never seen this movie before today so i've heard it referenced i guess to your point maybe this is going to show my hand a bit here but i have seen those other two movies that you referenced animal house american graffiti those seem to be much more in the popular culture as i was growing up mm. than this movie was although it was referenced like i didn't know the name fast times at ridgemont high i knew the character of spicoli i think that there was probably parodies or something that i was familiar well, with or references to it right i mean this is not that different from american pie or uh or what was, sure. oh, I was thinking of another one. Oh, like uh, Mallrats or like, I think those, those directors 
definitely love this film because there are direct lines between what would become a coming of age comedy as you move forward. But they're, you know, yeah, 100%. it's just art. Everything kind of works off itself. I was actually going to say that I think you can basically draw a direct line from this to American Pie because yes. this starts semi gross out into like that's the ultimate gross out by the time we get to American Pie in 99. So I'm excited to actually experience this for the first time. I have heard about it for so long that I'm very excited to, to sit down and watch it. So let's do that. Let's go and watch this movie, Dave. And then when we return, we'll be talking a little bit more about the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Did you ever work any fast food or retail job? Um, so I applied once to work at a theater. I was turned down after the behavior test. I applied once um, to work. What does that mean? What is a behavior test? You know those, like, so I applied for a Cineplex job and they do that, even in the 90s, they did that thing where you have to like, if you're in this situation, you would circle oh. A, B, C. Yeah. I didn't pass Punch that. Punch them in the throat. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> and uh, what's interesting is after I met Helen, she is the ace of that. There's something about how mm -hmm. she, you know, reads the questions. That's sane, apparently. Uh -huh. And for me, uh, I'm not. I don't think I've ever passed one of those. Like, meaning I've never got a callback anytime I've had to do right. a test of that oh, nature. Oh, God, he's a sociopath. I, we can't. And then I worked in a restaurant uh, twice okay. in my 20s, and that didn't work well, well either. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not very employable, Kyle, as you know more than anybody now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're a perfect podcaster. Uh, Luckily, I, although you do have to pass a behavioral test at the end of this season, so I guess we'll see how that goes. Condé vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Uh, this week, Dave, I get to tell you your ABCs. I get to give you your ABCs or... I need a Alberta refresher. Alberta Blue Cross. Ah, sorry. I was hoping for a refresher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that, and they offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head on over to ab.bluecross.ca. Nice. Uh, for me, I feel very lazy and incompetent, mm -hmm. so I'm just going to let Connect First Credit Union tell you everything you need to know about them. Because I probably would do a worse job than that. Do you ever feel like just a number? A digit? A denominator? A decimal? Another cog in the big bank machine? Waiting on hold? Online? Never on time? And always on your dime? Like your worth is only calculated by your net worth? In a world full of numbers, it's nice to know there's a place where you're not one. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. All right, Dave, we have sat down and watched, I guess you've rewatched Fast Times at Ridgemont High. This is my first time watching it. But we have to do a scenario here first. Let's say that me and you have rolled up in a van into a high school parking lot. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're gonna go that angle why can't we just be yeah. the nerds at a library you're gonna pretend no. that uh, you're stoned out of your face yeah we're just we're just taking smoking. off your shirt we're shirtless we're smoking a lot of pot yeah, yeah that's that feels real which is what people do dave they take take off their shirts to smoke weed we are smoking the ganja <laughs> okay yeah I am the whitest man to talk no, about good. this stuff. good. Yeah, that sounded that sounded real. <laughs> you know, we're 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 hot boxing it, and someone comes and knocks on our van door. We open up smoke billows out. And it's the principal, and the principal is there and being like, "How dare you not offer me any of this weed, this choice Kush that you have here in this van?" This is working, but That's- also. But also, I have this, and he shows us this VHS copy of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. What's this about? How would you answer his question? This is a story following... This is literally the easiest one to do. This is a story following a bunch of high school kids as they make their way through a year of teenage life in America in the 80s. I was going to say seniors, but I'm like, not everybody's a high school senior. Yeah, they're not. uh, Not all of them are. So, doing this rewatch, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's of its time and I'm I'm not enwrapped in it. I think my problem is the cutting edge of coming to age comedies is probably earlier, whether I like American Graffiti or Animal House that much, right? Yeah. And then all the new stuff kind of takes the bits of this and just makes them so extreme that this comes out a bit flat in the rewatching. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. I just don't understand people's fascination with this movie in particular. I found myself pretty middling on it. I would ask the question whether we believe these are good performances or just interesting characters that are written by Cameron Crowe who's quite young. You'll talk about his uh, source material. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. He's a very interesting guy. So uh, so you have to break down for me. What is the difference between good performances and interesting characters? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I mean, do we think that Jennifer, Jason Lee and Phoebe Cates are actually performing well in their roles or is it just interesting to watch a bunch of high school girls advise each other about having sex and giving blowjobs. Is Sean Penn mm. a great representation of what it's like to be a stone surfer dude? Or is he just kind of like a pantomime? It's hard, right? You watch this and everybody's kind of like an extreme version of a trope in 80s high school. The inversion being 21 Jump Street, which I thought was hilarious because they're like talking about how the trends of something like this are not real anymore. So like we watch Diner, it's the same thing. It's not that it's a bad movie. It's just I'm not convinced by the world anymore. I don't, I don't live in it. Uh, that was the best comparison I was going to bring up. Is like this and Diner, I think, have a lot in common. Yeah. I'm sitting here listening to you. And, you know, sometimes, Dave, during the show, we've done, what, 157, 158 episodes, yeah. something like that. And sometimes we disagree on films. Sometimes we agree on films. I've never sat here and listened to you say some of the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my entire mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I fundamentally disagree, I think, on your, even your premise. I really enjoyed this movie. I thought this was a solid little film. I will guess I agree with you to a certain extent. I'm not saying this is the best high school comedy that's out there. I don't even think it's probably the best high school centered story from the 80s. Which would be what in your mind? I'm I'm being very fast and loose with this, but I mean, Back to the Future is kind of my go-to for Breakfast like Club. high school student. Breakfast Club is another. I love the Breakfast Club a lot. So. Yeah, Be- Breakfast Club holds up actually because we get yes. the center. It's not even just about the tropes of the jock and the cool guy. Like, there's actually acting in it, right? Character development. We get to discover the emotional grounding of where these people come from, and there's comedy in it. So that's a 
good movie, Kyle. That's a good well, movie. A movie that is good. Sure. If we we're going to compare this and the Breakfast Club, yes, I'm going to say Breakfast Club is going to win hands down. Okay. The thing about this this film in particular is it does two things that I just happened. It's like catnip for me, and I guess this is just my bias showing through. Oh, you're which biased. is yes. oh yeah. Well, everyone's biased when they come in and watch a film. There's things you like and things you don't like. The two things that that that, that I enjoy are coming of age stories and B. I enjoy what will often be called like the hangout movie where there really isn't a plot necessarily. You are just hanging out with a series of characters and maybe situations. So this is when I was going to bring Diner in. Diner is a film that kind of does the same thing. It's just that I don't find what they're doing all that interesting or their conversations all that compelling. This movie is the exact opposite for me. I do care about these characters. I am interested to know what their thoughts and feelings are. I think it's But do you uh, find out about those things? I don't think so. I think you do. I think this I layers mean, on will say, maybe your personal high school experience, right? More than mine. Mm, Right. This well, is not how I experienced high school. No, I was there. There's nothing in this movie that I experienced as a high school student so then what? because I was a loser. I was never a part of the cool. No, kids. what I mean is this is the ecosystem maybe of the high school you grew mm, up in. Possibly. Yeah. So it, it, maybe, it will pull. Maybe to an extent. Yeah, it might pull on your personal experience, but. I was the biggest jockbot in my high school. I think Spicoli is the thing that gets the most attention in this which i understand but really he's the comedy relief in this movie yes. i don't actually find him interesting well <laughs> no he's interesting i guess yeah, yeah no i find a couple of things i like i like the ordering the pizza to the classroom like that stuff is i think it is funny and humorous mm -hmm. but I, I i almost find him a caricature right of a high school student rather than a real person not all jennifer jason lee is the heart of this movie and i actually really really enjoy seeing her progression through this film i, I think this must be in part, Amy Heckerling's contribution into the script, yep. in that I think it was at the time, and still kind of is, just a different uh, outlook, I guess, to see girls wanting to have sex but not labeled as sluts for wanting to have sex. Like I think that that whole storyline is handled pretty um, effectively. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, yeah, both of these people want to have sex with each other because they're teenagers, and not one of them is punished for wanting to do so. So I don't know. I just find that interesting, refreshing. Okay, again, a small criticism. Do we need the kind of like the abortion storyline thrown into here? I don't know if that really adds much of anything. Although in our current political climate, will seem pretty progressive as far as how it's handled. So I think it's the Jennifer Jason Lee that makes character Stacy is what pulls me through this storyline. And there's bits and gags that are thrown into here that I have to admit, I laughed and I chortled at certain sequences and scenarios, but it's gently humorous. I enjoy the characters. And I like the fact that I'm just hanging out with these people trying to figure things out in their years of high school. The fact that you describe watching this film as a single actress's performance dragging you through it and then saying oh, that God. I'm wrong about everything about this film tells me about your bias. <laughs> this movie is not that good, man. Jennifer Jason Lee is good in it, for sure. And some of the writing that you're talking about around her character is is interesting. I, I do like uh, this idea of like, I mean, it's become its own trope, but like the cool guy being completely incompetent. I hated Rat. I don't understand mm. his character. Like, I get when we try to have the quote-unquote geek or nerd or social misfit, but it's not redeeming at all. He's just this really awkward, strange person. And maybe it's real, but it's not compelling for me that he becomes, in the end, a de facto romantic lead. He has done nothing to earn the prize. By the end, he just runs away from this woman all the time. Spicoli is, yeah, is a cartoon character. I know he's meant to be, but it doesn't yeah. make me want to watch the movie because we've 
got better cartoon characters. He's not a Will Ferrell or an Andy Samberg, sure. or like a total buffoon, right? He's the proto buffoon, which is fine. And that's why if I was growing up in the 80s, like a teenager in the 80s and I watched this, I would definitely feed it. It would definitely feed me or I would feed into whatever the right uh, direction that is. But as a child of the 90s, like growing up as a teenager of the 90s, I don't care. Well, I do care. <laughs> and I think people will if they sit down and watch this movie. I think that it's effective at what it leads out to do. I think I wonder if, like having never read the book that this is based on, that Cameron Crowe wrote, my understanding, maybe you have a different understanding. My understanding from reading the synopsis is that it's like, I don't know, each chapter is focused on a single person that he actually did talk to and like follow around over like this set i think it was a year that he was in this school or at least a few months that he was in this school with and i wonder if that is part of maybe this issue of it not being like a cohesive plot because life doesn't have a cohesive plot and he's trying to mash these characters to make it feel like there's a progression of things. I don't know. I don't know what you what your feelings are. Well, I don't I don't know anything about the book. Uh, I do, I only know about the idea that he like he's this child prodigy, right? He he's graduated yes. at 15. I almost famous is basically an autobiographical yes. semi-biographical idea of his experience becoming a Rolling Stone reporter in his teens. It's fucking crazy. In his teens. Yes, at 16 years so old. So this yeah. project was him apparently going to the magazine and saying, look, I can still pretend to be a high school. It's uh, There's so many movies now about this and, uh, and just make an account of what high school life is right now. So I don't know if he stayed yeah. there for a full semester. I don't know how much of it was... Yeah, like an interview process or actual ambiguous uh, observation as he's kind of just hiding the shadows as a teenager. I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if each kind of piece of that book was focused on an individual experience and you're trying to shoehorn them into a 90-minute film, yeah, you would get something as disjointed as this. I mean, I'll give the movie credit. I think this is just any high school movie. It's not really a problem of needing a single coherent plot. I don't I don't think that's what I didn't like about this movie. I, I like this idea that we've just spent a year at this high school and we've tried to figure out how people relate to each other. I just I wasn't as enamored as you with the individual characters mm. that are in it. Wait until my movie comes out where I dress up like a normal teen and then slowly destroy every single student to feed my bloodlust. Well, let's get into more of that here in a moment. Let's do some of this backstory here. So this movie opened up on August 13th, 1982. Currently has a rating of 3.5 on Letterboxd, has a 7.1 on IMDb, 61 on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes, from 59 critics, it has a 78%. And from 100,000 plus users, it has an 80%. See, it's, so not, it's, that well, it's not that well loved, actually. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's a passing grade, Dave. And by the sense of it, you're giving this a failing grade. I'm just so. saying, it's interesting that this thing's taken up some cultural zeitgeist, or at least Spicoli has. But it's yeah. not uh, actually that much of a populist opinion as far as our experience with some of these other films we watched over the sure. last couple of years. Available on DVD and Blu-ray, currently available to purchase or rent on iTunes or YouTube. Its budget was $5 million. It would go on to make $27.1 million at the North American box office, at least, which if you adjust for inflation is $83 million. In a weird way, I'm actually kind of fascinated that there was never a sequel made of this movie, just based on the fact that it was a hit. Just based on the fact we watched Gre Grease 2. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, there's American more American graffiti. More graffiti. Like, there's a sequel to that. No. Yeah. So you just you would just think its plot description from IMDb is a group of Southern California high school students are enjoying their most important subjects: sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, great, <laughs> great. I can see why you love this so much. 
Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now it's time to play everyone's favorite game. Guess, Guess that, that, that tag. tag. Dave, you know that when you go to see a movie at the movie theater, you see that row of posters. Maybe you are about to go and see a preview of Avatar, The Way of Water. And <laughs> That uh, tagline's like, it's wetter than you remember. <laughs> James Cameron's going to make you wet. <laughs> there is, of course, a little phrase that they put onto those posters to entice you to actually want to come and see their films. And so there was a tagline for this movie. I'm going to give you three options. One of them is the actual tagline that was on the movie poster from 1982. Two of them are completely made up by me. Is the tagline to this movie fast cars, fast girls, fast carrots? Is it whoa, dude? Or is it the life of the American teenager. <laughs> Couldn't be any more different. Great. Uh, I'm going to go with two. Whoa, dude. Yeah, why not? No, Dave. It is the stupid, the first stupidest one? stupid one. Fast cars. It's actually, I kind of abridged it a bit because it's actually fast cars, fast girls, fast carrots, dot, 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 fast carrots. Were there carrots in this movie? The blowjob scene is with carrots. Oh, Wow. Yeah, that was... But man, that is w quite a... That's awful. A reach to, to, to market this movie, I would say. Well, I mean, say. I did read that the studio did not market this movie, so I guess I mm. shouldn't be surprised, but Jesus. Dave, like the do you think we could somehow weasel our way in to a studio and say, we can write better taglines yes. for you? Well, no, they wouldn't <laughs> let us in the door, but we could write no. better. Actually, I don't know what I would write for this. Dumb. Dumb and dumber. <laughs> <laughs> You want to talk about the legal? Spend your money on a different movie. <laughs> Go see Blade Runner. That's what your tagline would have been for this movie. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, this stars Jennifer Jason Lee as Stacey Hamilton, Sean Penn as Jeff Spicoli, Judge Reinhold as Brad Hamilton, Robert Romanis as Mike Damone, Brian Becker as Mark Ratner, and Phoebe Cates as Linda Barrett. Anything you want to say about any of these actors? Mm, not really. Phoebe Cates was almost a big thing. Judge Reinhold's a pretty big name beverly hills Cop, i would say him and right I, yeah i was gonna say like judge reinhold phoebe cates i think both are in a similar case where their 80s are pretty good yeah. and then it's completely fallen off the map like i like if you're an 80s kid you'll know the name judge right. reinhold but no one outside of that knows who he is no, no although i will say one of my favorite favorite jokes on arrested development Oh, is is the judge. Ju is uh, Judge Reinhold being a, being an actual judge? That's because it was written by people who are our age. When will Judge Reinhold's renaissance happen? Phoebe Case. The only thing interesting I found about her is that she was uh, family friends with Andy Warhol. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Okay. And then she's married to Kevin Klein. So we may have talked to her about her briefly. Sophie's Choice. I oh, don't we remember. probably did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not like not are her they career. Still married but or no? Apparently, they have two kids. Okay. There's no note about them being divorced. Unlike Mr. Sean Penn, who just can't keep his hands to himself, literally. I know it's a presumption of guilt, but Jesus, what a what a pattern in his life. Cinematography is by Matthew F. Leonetti, who we've already talked about because he did the cinematography for Poltergeist. Oh. So, for other movies that he has been cinematographer for that I didn't mention in the last episode were Weird Science from 1985, Commando oh, from 1985, I like Commando. Mortal Kombat Annihilation from 1998, 
<laughs> and Dumb and Dumber 2 from 2014. Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is written by Cameron Crowe based on his own book, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, A True Story, directed by Amy Heckerling. We've kind of already talked a little bit about Cameron Crowe. I should have asked, uh, are you a fan of Cameron Crowe's movies? I mean, Almost Famous is good. He's got so many. Uh, Say Anything, that's also an iconic one. The third time I watched it, I realized, I don't know if I'm that excited by that movie anymore. He did Jerry Maguire. I didn't know that. I didn't know Jerry Maguire was his film. There's another one. I mentioned this a few episodes ago. I'm probably the only person who actually likes Vanilla Sky. Oh, yeah, Vanilla Sky. But that's a Cameron Crowe movie. Richard Linklater starts taking over the Cameron Crowe world, right? Actually, that's a good call. (laughs) I would actually agree with that. I think that Richard Linklater starts to do Cameron Crowe better than Cameron Crowe does it. Because like Elizabethtown, Aloha, like those... The controversy of the white-facing or... So Cameron Crowe, he... As we said, it's kind of this child prodigy. He's interested in journalism at an early age, begins writing for a school newspaper. At the tender age of 13, he begins submitting music reviews to the underground publication, The San Diego Door. So at this impossibly young age, he starts working for Rolling Stone at 16, where he follows the Allman Brothers Band Crazy. while they're on tour, while also interviewing Named not just Allman the band, Brothers. but the road crew. <laughs> not, a, not a clue. Uh, uh, I know some of their songs, mm, but that's about it. Dwight and... Uh... Eisenhower. No. It's this experience that he would eventually use as the inspiration to make the movie almost famous. One of the next stories that he decides to do, that he wants to write, uh, is and because he's so young at 22, is he wants to go undercover at an American high school to report on what was important for the youth of the day. And he pitches this idea to publisher Simon & Schuster. They buy it and he goes undercover. Before the book is even published, it is optioned for a film. But when the book does come out, it's modestly modestly successful, well-reviewed. At the same time, we have Amy Heckerling, who is growing up in New York, knows that she wants to be a film director at an early age, so decides to pursue that by going to New York University. And then NYU, she experiments by making short musicals for a while. Uh, befriends Martin Brest, who would go on, if you don't know that name, goes on to make Beverly Hills Cop, Midnight Run, Scent of a Woman, so they're kind of at school together. She'd also make friends with this professor and screenwriter, Terry Southern. He had written Dr. Strangelove. That's his, like, (laughs) CV. So some big names that kind of come into her life. She eventually moves out to Los Angeles, begins working at the American Film Institute, and it's the short film Getting It Over With about a woman determined to lose her virginity before she turns 20. So it takes place over one night. She finishes the edit, jumps in her car, and is in this terrible, terrible car accident, which we kind of discussed. Collapses her lung, scrambles her short-term memory. So she's fired from her job at the American Film Institute because she can't remember things as well anymore but she does have this finished short film and she decides to show it off and he gets this great reception people really love it one of the people who absolutely adores it is this guy by the name of tom mount who is then the president of universal pictures however he says that they can't offer her a job without her having an agent first so then she's desperately trying to find this agent and this has no luck finding someone who wants to pick her up which i find just as an aside feels weird to me if i went to an agency and said like listen the head of Universal is going to say that they are going to give me a writing job or a directing job. I don't understand why an agent wouldn't jump at that. But because she's a I woman, do you think so? Yeah. I don't know. How many women directors are working that that well? Yeah, in, it's, in it's the studio system. still pretty small. I think we've only talked about one other woman filmmaker mm-hmm. this year, and they actually, yeah, and they disappeared too. And that one didn't even get wide release. Anyway, so after a few months, Tom Mount just calls her up and says, "I'm going to give you a job. I'm tired of waiting for an agency to pick you up." As a first-time director. 
they give her some scripts to read through and the one that pops out to her is the one for fast times she also reads the book and decides that she wants to rework the script so she sits down with crow and they get into it and produce this finished version that we see on screen. Now, you mentioned about her picking out the music, which is somewhat true. In the script, it was noted that what the kids were going to be listening to were things like the Eagles. Heckerling didn't like them and was like, I don't want to have music in this movie that I don't like. You don't like the Hotel California vibe? Huh. Strange. Well, I have to say, too, I mean, I know her and Crow are basically the same age, like within a couple of years mm. of each other. But his tastes definitely skew older than what like the youth of the day was listening oh, to. He was touring in the 70s. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she wanted to use stuff like Fear, The Talking Heads, The Dead Kennedys, Oingo Boingo. The only one that she convinces the studio to use is Oingo Boingo, who plays the final track uh, over the credits. And so we can blame her for Danny Elfman's career. <laughs> That's probably not true. But this is also the launching pad for so many young actors. We have Nicolas Cage shows up for a second. Forrest Whitaker is in this movie. Sean Penn, Anthony Edwards. Like, there's just a whole bunch of people. Eric Stoltz. Remember when Eric Stoltz was supposed to be a Eric thing? Eric Stoltz. <laughs> So going back to Back to the Future, he was cast and That's shot right. scenes yeah. in, before they fired him. There's also apparently, I, this is something I didn't know. I didn't know that Cameron Crowe was married to one of the singers from Heart. Did you know this? No. I don't know. No, I didn't look that up. She is the person who like waves at them from the car. Like they come up to an intersection at one oh, point yeah, in the yeah, film yeah. and there's yeah. someone who waves. Yeah, she laughs at Judge Reinhold's pirate yes. costume. Okay. Correct. Correct. Martin Brast, who I mentioned, has a cameo in this movie. There's a bunch of other people who just make short little cameos. Good ensemble. Kind of like American Graffiti. Yeah, a little bit. So it's released, makes six times its budget. Mm -hmm. uh, mixed to positive reviews, though. Has gained a cult status over time. Led to a television series a couple of years after this. It only lasted a season. It is spy number 1075 of the Criterion Collection. And I thought this was just interesting. There's a critic that I happen to really like. Her name is Dana Stevens. And she wrote about uh, Fast Times. And a part of that is... Fast Times is the polar opposite of exploitation. Heckerling's film is a raunchy crowd pleaser replete with stoner humor, a masturbation gag, and a blowjob tutorial that makes use of school cafeteria carrots. But it is also attuned to the emotional lives of teenagers, girls and boys, in ways that places it far ahead of its time. Great. Very talkative <laughs> this morning. All right. Well, I don't know. You, you just uh, listed off bunch of facts so i said great i'm not going to refute facts and figures yeah, i'm not going to refute what someone wrote about it they wrote it so great. what do you think why do you think one of them is wearing a montreal canadians jersey oh i missed that is that a thing oh it's very prominent yeah there's one scene where the person is like literally wearing a montreal canadians jersey i'm just trying to think like why in california yeah. is this kid wearing a montreal canadians they didn't have the nhl there yet in 82 i don't think uh anyways Expansion hasn't been on the West Coast, so that's probably maybe someone on the production team. That's what I'm guessing. Is like someone in like uh, sets or props or something was like a big was like from Canada yeah. or Quebec or something. It was like a huge fan. It's like we'll have him wear yeah, it. Yeah. We'll be it. One of the jokes I really love. There's the older man, of course, that takes uh, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee on that first date to like. Oh that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever the place to kiss and make out and have sex, and then he doesn't call her again. Dirty like dugout, he stops right. talking. To him. And I just love Phoebe Cates is like. He's a stereo salesman. Who cares? Like when he, he stops like talking to her. You love that, eh? 
I just think it's funny. Mm. It's like, why do you care? He's a stereo salesman. It's not like he's some important dude on Wall Street. Um, the other one that I think is just like hilarious is when Judge Reinhold is giving himself a pep talk in that like, dirty, dirty bathroom. Oh, yeah, yeah. About how he's going to break up with the girl. Well, not even that. It's just it's like, you're your own man. Oh, yeah. You're a self, you're a self-made man. Like, you're good. You're great. And this is like, what is it? It's like hairy pussy or something like that yeah. on the on the mirror or whatever that's written on there. I just like the, uh, the juxtaposition of that. Like, you're like trying to build yourself up in like the dirtiest bathroom in the world. You're saying it. I, I, uh, I'm just waiting. Well, because you're doing, you're doing nothing. <laughs> I think it's funny. I think it's a great juxtaposition okay. of... Trying to build yourself up in like the worst place to do it. The other one is that this gets right. This is why I asked you at the beginning whether you worked retail or food. This gets the experience of working retail a thousand percent uh, right. The mall environment, you mean? The mall environment, yes. Uh -huh. But also the customer coming up, eating his entire meal. Uh, and be like, Can I get a refund for this? Right. It's like, no, you can't get a refund for this. And how f helpless you are because like, well, I have to go by the policy, which means you have to fill out this form. It's like, no, just give me my money. It's like, I would love to but I have to fill out this form for you. So just being caught in the, in the middle of that. My other favorite funny scene is the, the, uh, the guy who turns out to be a dirtbag giving dating advice. I like, this is what you do with a girl, right? You order for them. You do this. You pick them up in your car and you play them led, the, the second side of Led oh, Zeppelin right, 4. Right, right, right. <laughs> but then smash cut and you're listening to Led Zeppelin 4. It is like so loud in that car. Mm. Great little smash cut gag, too. This does do the 80s thing, though, with using the word fags kind of liberally in one scene, which is unfortunate. I also, by the way, that date, they put them in those ridiculously large chairs. Like, they ah. make them intentionally larger for the actors to sit to in very to small. make it look yeah. like they're, like, very small. Because even if you look in the background, like, the other chairs are not that big yeah, yeah. with other people seeing them. So it's a great way to just visually accentuate, like, these are kids. We're talking about kids here. Um, anything you want to bring up? <laughs> Because I have other things. I have yeah, other scenes you, I think are you're great. You're like really into this thing. I I guess I will just make the blanket statement that uh, it sounds like the pieces you're enamored with are just not things that I respond to. And uh, I can't explain why, right? I, I don't right. think that's where I'm going to come from. It's not that I don't recognize the things happen. I just didn't find myself chortling about them. I found myself, you know, I, I didn't turn it off. I was ready to keep going on this journey, but I don't remember laughing out loud very much. It's because you're dead inside. Actually, it's not wrong <laughs> in itself. So I'm trying to be positive. What what was funny? I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's mildly amusing. Every, everything's fine. What do you make of the of the teacher coming to Spicoli's room at the end? Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it weird? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I, I thought, honestly, at the very beginning, maybe, maybe it is the point of the scene. Maybe I'm just overthinking this. Is he just trying to get Spicoli to pass so he doesn't have to deal with him next year? Is that what the I don't know. subtext is to that? It's not made explicit. The idea that he would show up at a student's house on the night of the prom is very right. weird. And often, when you see something like that in a film, they're just not allowed to go. But that he can cover a year's worth of material in an hour they still show up he still picks up everybody hot boxes this van and shows up right. to his dance on time like it just doesn't make any sense I, I know it's a comedy and we're not really supposed to overthink it but i just think like that piece of writing is very strange to just throw in there and maybe that's like you were talking about having to shoehorn everything together you know maybe this is something that actually happened over the course of a week to build up and you know this kid actually isn't dumb and he's just a pothead and he ended up being able to uh 
pass the marks to make it to the dance and they had to shoot it as though it were one night. Like, I didn't find it particularly funny either. Uh, by the way, I was trying to figure it out because that uh, teacher looks so familiar. He was in the apartment 20 years before this, yeah. of course, but yeah, huh. yeah he's in the apartment. Uh, oh, it does your most hated thing. I think it, unless I'm confusing with someone else, which now makes me feel bad. Aren't you the person who hates it when they put up those things at the end? It's like, this character did this, oh, yeah, this yeah. character did yeah. this. I don't know about hate, but I just think it's misused. And this one, yeah. it's particularly silly. But by that time, I was kind of divested. Is that the right word? Mm -hmm. So when the post-credit or whatever you want to, no, not uh, pre-credit, as they were doing the, uh, the where did these guys end up? I mean, they didn't even do it in an entertaining way. It was just a mess, I thought. I mm -hmm. didn't think it was that funny. I think because I wasn't really into the characters individually, finding out where they were going to be in five years didn't feel important. Also, I think mm -hmm. because the writer and director and the plot material are so young, their projection of where these people end up is like, two years later like who gives a sure, fuck yeah, right yeah. they're still dating <laughs> like who gives nothing. a shit it's not reflective but apparently of haven't apparently have not had sex yet <laughs> so that's it's like uh if you're gonna well. do something like that and you want to talk about when they're in their middle age you know there might be something sure. but uh apparently he does save is it madonna that he says that he saves oh sean penn and then he blows his yeah. money on a surfboard i don't know uh, right. something which is weird that they actually did Prescient. end up dating for a yeah. bit. It's too bad that Weird Al and Madonna were never able to make their relationship work. There's one of the male characters who says, I like sex in like the most teenager boy way that I thought was also very humorous. Mm. We're done here. Um, all right. Well, the machine has said that we do have to wrap things up here. So we're going to go into Critics' Choice. Right. Learning about what some of the people thought at the time that this movie was released. I just wanted to say too, uh, this is so fairly new that malls were a thing. I think that we shouldn't uh, okay. just gloss over that okay. fact. I, I I was reading it up just to be sure on that. Like technically the first mall was built in the 1950s or something like that. But like mall culture, as far as like mall culture and like mass, like teenagers going to malls. Right. Like it was very new at the time. So I should have, I mean, I, I don't care, but I should have thought about it a little bit because we tried to watch physical on Apple TV. I don't like that show, by the way, that same theme came up that this sort of mall culture is just appearing in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Like it's not a place where, you go and loiter. It was, uh, right. you know, used to be just you get in and get out the way I look at shopping. But uh, no, that's a good point. Well, now malls are crumbling and, and can't stay open. Well, because so. they were never <laughs> economically feasible to the in the first place. But yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good observation. Dave, you know who you're aligned with here this week is Roger Ebert because he hated this movie. <laughs> he gave it one out of four oh, stars. Oh, that's low for Like Ebert. really hated yeah. it. And he starts off by going... How could they do this to Jennifer Jason Lee? How could they put such a fresh and cheerful person into such a scuzz pit of a movie? Don't they know they have a star on their hands? Mm. If this movie had been directed by a man, I'd call it sexist. It was directed by a woman, Amy Heckerling, and it's sexist all the same. It clunks to a halt now and then for some heartfelt, badly handled material about pregnancy and abortion. I suppose that's Heckerling paying dues to some misconception of the women's movement. But for the most part, this movie just exploits its performers by trying to walk a tightrope between comedy and sexploitation. This movie could have been a lot more fun if it hadn't chosen to confuse embarrassment with humor. The unnecessary detail about sexual functions isn't funny, it's distasteful. Is that wrong Kyle? yes i do huh. think so i think he's completely off the mark i think he's lost his marbles on this one i don't see this as sexploitation in the least her walking out and taking off her uh, swimsuit to show off her breasts phoebe cates uh -huh. so that he, judge reinhold could masturbate in a bathroom that's that's a good scene 
you're complaining two different things. I don't think Phoebe Cates is doing that so that Judge Reinhold goes and masterpiece. No, it's his imagination, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So outside of that one like dream sequence, I don't think there's anything in here that's so salacious. And if for someone who loves American Pie like you do, I think it's a pretty rich saying that this is sex, uh, sexploitation of girls when that one they are basically forcing a girl to strip for people online. Well, not forcing, but they do. Uh, what's the other way? Yeah, they exploit that situation for sure. Yeah, yeah. I like when I watch this film, I don't think sexploitation. I just find it awkward and i don't know why mm -hmm. i don't think it's a sexploitative film like uh pretty maids all in a row which is basically a right. softcore gonna, porn, yeah that's right? the other one i was gonna bring up like this is not pretty no. maids all in a row or if we're gonna watch a movie next week you know it may not be right. as right. dumb as yes. the one coming up uh, uh -huh. so I, i'm not trying to put that in that boat it's just you know like I, i'm not gonna give this a one Roger Ebert was quite offended apparently yeah by this. Apparently. Pretty heavy. but uh in principle i don't know if he's that, that far off the mark Pauline Kale, on the other hand, I guess would be positive. I don't know. She, if you read her, like oh, she watched 10, this. 000, oh, interesting. Yeah, this ten thousand word essay that she wrote on this movie. I think it comes down. To, she's like, meh. Like that's basically her response to this. So compressing it down, is, she says, watching Fast Times, I was surprised at how not bad it is. It may fall into the general category of youth exploitation movies, but it isn't assaultive, uh, and it's certainly like that's a good. Yeah. One. And it's certainly likable. The title appears over a shot of a California shopping mall, which makes sense because new california high schools with their separate buildings for art and music and whatever are more and more like shopping malls and the mall is where the ridgemont kids go to right after school to their jobs it's also where they spend their money they earn fast times is like beach party movies at a later stage as if they'd evolved and gained a higher form of consciousness what makes it appealing yet may upset some parents is that the kids rely on one another they've gained independence from the adults at home the kids are there to catch each other after the falls and to console each other they function as parents for each other. Too bad we don't get more Phoebe Cates' Linda. Stacey's the normal girl of the past, with her biology sped up. But Linda, who takes all her cues from pop culture, may represent a new, jaded, sullen mood. Nothing causes a light to flicker in her huge, shining eyes, and she doesn't look ahead much. She doesn't seem fully alive. Yet the friendships of the two girls, the matter-of-factness of it, is lovely. Linda may not know a whole lot about sex, but what she knows, she shares. And she sees the comedy in her own blank boredom. It is interesting that there's no parents in this movie outside of like that one teacher. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good call out. All right, Dave. Well, we should rate this movie. But uh, before we do, uh, that's what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release videos uh, on our YouTube channel. And if you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterbox page, letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, out of five, what are you going to give Fast Times? Again, I don't think it holds up. I don't think, you know, I mean, it apparently has some culture impact just for people our age. I don't think anybody younger than 30 knows who Spicoli is anymore. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I didn't hate it. I'm going to give it a two and a half. I should go lower actually, but it's fine. I uh, I don't know. Again, I didn't turn it off. It's not a million dollar duck. There are some compelling no. performances, at least one or two. It's solid. I like it. I think it's funny. I love Jennifer Jason Lee. But I'm giving it a 3.5. Wow. Again, I think that it's good. I enjoyed this movie. But again, I think other ones have gone on to do it better my call it honestly edge of 17 if you've not seen the movie edge of 17 
people should go and watch that movie. It's great. Kyle's Light. Let's get the show on the road. Where does it fit? And it's a first time director. Go, go, go. <laughs> Dark Crystal. Is it better or worse than the Dark Crystal? Yeah, it's more fun than Dark Crystal. How about Halloween 3? Yeah, it's better than Halloween. How about Tron? I, I think Tron should go above it, but what's... The- I think so too. I think I think Tron is easily. So I'm going to say that, that is what's going to happen. <laughs> So what that means is it's going to enter into the new the new number 20 position, right below Tron, right above Halloween 3. It's basically where all of our movies recently have been kind of falling. Yeah, middle. It's kind of like the middle portion oh. of this list. But next week, I'm sure we're going to have a fun time because Dave, let's push this button. We're going to watch Porky's. Mm, high class. I'm going to be yeah. I'm going to be so mad. That's going to be the one that I'm going to be like, this exploitation piece of shit. You don't want to watch a bunch of prepubescent boys peeking through holes in girls' showers? That's not compelling? To you? Yeah, I'm going to probably have a bad time next week, but uh, we'll, we'll figure things watch out. Watch it be and, funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, actually, five out of five. I'm giving this a five out of five. Uh, all right. Well, Didi is still trying to break in, uh, but I have to leave right now. So we'll do more plot to. Oh, d- great. Uh, uh, no, I'll handle it by week. myself. This is going to go well. Yeah, have fun. When will Judge Reinhold's renaissance happen?